Hello and welcome to yet another anime podcast. Just who the hell do I think I am? I'm Ninja Boy and I'm yet another anime podcast host. Hope everyone's doing well out there and that you've had a happy holidays. This episode, as the past several have been, uh, is much later than I anticipated it coming out. Uh, between catching COVID in December and then the usual end of year rush at work to get things done before the holidays, uh, it was hard to find time to record and edit this episode, and here we are in January already. I'll probably backdate this episode so that it shows up uh, in the feed for December, probably the 31st, but I think moving forward, just to set expectations, I'll be honest with myself and say this show is probably going to be a monthly show, with the exception of the months uh, when we have a new anime season starting January, April, July, and October. Um, those months, I'll have two episodes to, one, recap the season that, wa- that was, and then the second episode to look at the, the first impressions for the new season. Aside from those months, uh, every other episode, will, every other month will probably have one episode or so. So you're probably thinking about 16 episodes uh, in a year. Uh, looking back, I only hit about 10 this past year. So you know, hopefully, I can get on some sort of consistency here. Uh, but yeah, uh, as far as scheduling-wise, the months with two episodes will probably be on the uh, first and third weekends, while every other month will be on the second weekend of each month. Though I'm not going to commit to a specific day, uh, since, you know, depending on my work schedule, I may either be able to get it done on Friday, or I might have to wait till s- Sunday to get done. Uh, in any case, uh, for this makeup episode for the podcast, um, and since we couldn't be like more like a monthly schedule, I want these episodes to be a little bit more heftier. So I'm going to do two topics for this episode. First, uh, I'll be going over my experience at the 2022 Anime NYC convention, um, the, my fi- the fifth ever one and the fifth one I've been to. Um, and, then I'll, and then for the second half, I'll be going over the anime movies that I watched this past year in 2022 uh, with a bit of a bonus discussion of live action adaptations of anime as well as stuff coming in 2023 I want to look forward to. Um, this coming weekend will be the combination of the end of the year award show, yet another anime award show, as well as the fall 2022 recap show. Um, and in a couple of weeks or so, we'll have the winter 2022 first ep- impressions episode. All right, let's hop into it. So first, the Anime NYC recap. Now, after excessive excessive crowding last year uh, after the pandemic at Anime NYC, um, the staff there decided to switch up the way they did the tickets this year. Um, In order to make it so that more people could attend the convention since there was clearly demand for it, um, while also keeping the comfort and and line control uh, in mind, they decided to prioritize having more attendees by limiting the number of three-day passes available, right? So only so many people would be there every three days. Everyone else would have to buy an individual ticket. Now, you know, uh, me and my wife, we ended up not getting the three-day tickets because they were sold out by the time we got to them in the queue, so we ended up just getting Saturday tickets. Now, in addition, while last year I was lucky enough to be able to get the press pass for Anime NYC, I suspect that this year my somewhat lackluster irregular posting means I didn't probably qualify for press this year, which is all well and good. I, you know, uh, I'm definitely going to want to earn it if I end up going. Um, so in any case, we ended up going. Uh, in addition, our neighbor uh, who lives next door, we recently we moved apartments in the last year, um, and our new neighbor also is an anime fan, so she came with us. It was her first convention uh, ever. Now, you know, obviously one of the main draws for me personally uh, is cosplaying and to see cosplayers. Now, as far as what we were going to cosplay, you know, I've had some ideas floating around. Uh, since the year before, you know, I kind of wanted to go as Odokawa from Odd Taxi with a Hawaiian shirt and a, and a hat with the walrus uh, face mask. Uh, however, I do also like to try to do something a little bit more timely of the year if possible. It came to me one day. Uh, actually, it came to my wife. Um, I was working on, I believe, my spring 2022 anime recap episode and was listening to the music of 
your boy Kongming, uh, which if I may remind you, has some total bangers. Uh, my wife was walking by my office, heard the opening song, Chika Chika Bang Bang, uh, and asked what it was. You know, I kind of explained the show. It was like a music show. There's just the opening song. Um, you know, there was a dancer, a singer, and then and Kongming and so on. So the pictures of Eiko and Kongming, and she was like, okay, that's going to be your cosplay for Anime NYC this year. See what does up is Eiko, and I'd be Kongming, and we'd learn the dance for the opening song and dance around the convention center. Uh, so as far as getting that cosplay, we ended up just ordering a full set off the internet. You know, we're not crafty people who make our own cosplay. Um, you know, I tend to, if anything, try to do more streetwear type cosplay where I can get use normal clothes uh, for for um, for my cosplays. Um, hers uh, was Echo's jacket um, that she ordered online, plus a white shirt she already had and shorts she already had, as well as a blonde wig. Um, and then me, I ordered Kaming's complete set of traditional Chinese robes plus the hat. Unfortunately for me even getting the largest size available because it was an Asian retailer uh, the Kongming robes did not fit me properly I definitely, uh, one of my news was loosening this year was definitely to lose some weight um, as such I opted for an alternative look I kind of had in my back, back pocket if you remember the scene uh, in the in the, in the the show where he's doing his laundry, he's just wearing a green tracksuit and his hat of course um, so you know I did keep the hat from the original costume so because of my large noggin we ended up needing to uh, cut it open and add a garter so that it would actually fit um, but the tracksuit worked nice since it was, you know, it was, it, Anime NYC's in November, colder weather, so it would be nice insulation. Um, I also have had my hair growing out since the beginning of the pandemic, which kind of matches Kongming's hair like, so I didn't need a wig. Uh, and I also have a bit of facial hair, which I kind of saved to kind of mask Kongming a little bit more, though I didn't go full mustache. Uh, I still definitely wanted to keep my beard. Uh, but yeah, it all worked out. Throw in some, you know, star shades I got from Amazon, and we were good to go. As far as the dance, you know, we did our best to learn it, but, you know, work and, and life was busy, so we didn't really have time to learn the whole dance. Plus, um, you know, a little bit out of shape, but we were able to learn uh, the chorus at the very least, uh, which, you know, as we didn't learn the verses and what, but uh, frankly, the chorus is pretty much everyone knows anyway. Um, so, yeah, we, we ended up going with that. Now, the day of the convention, Saturday, you know, we got a bit of a late start. You know, our dog ended up waking a little bit late. So, you know, and then get, and we needed to get, put our cosplay on. And, you know, our dog woke up late. We wanted to let him walk, poop, and so on uh, before we he, – he had to sleep most of the day. But we had to let him get to sleep first. Um, so we ended up leaving maybe about 11 o'clock or so. Uh, but we got, got to the convention center about noon. Now, you know, one of the upgrades, I will say, from the year prior, um, you know, obviously post-pandemic, everyone needs to get their vaccine cards, at least for, for this convention. Um, but, you know, last year, the lines took forever because, you know, the entrance was also where you would get your wrist, wristband. Um, and, and, and that was a big problem last year, part of why they decided to change the way they did their ticketing system. Um, this year, though, much like New York Comic Con uh, last year, um, Animated NYC ended up uh, getting a lot within the Hudson Yards, you know, on 34th Street near the Javits Center, where you you would go so your pass get the wristband and then you would go line up uh, to enter the convention which that definitely splitting it up that way i think did a lot to keep the line shorter it probably also helped you know of course that we came a little bit later uh, not right at, at the door opening uh, definitely looking forward to them doing that again if they're going to still have vaccine requirements. Um, you know, another change to the whole setup was that previously, you know, cosplay meetups would be on the top floor um, of, you know, up the escalators once you're behind the ticketed area. Um, this year, they ended up having the cosplays uh, meetups uh, be uh, in the act in the main foyer area, which is actually outside where you would uh, get your, where you would sew your bounce to be able to get inside. Now, you know, I definitely see the appeal of this, right? On one hand, even if you didn't weren't able to get a ticket for the convention, um, you were still able to store up for a cosplay meetup outside the ticketed area and take pictures. On the flip side, though, for people who were going inside, 
you know, I think if you were a cosplayer, you ended up kind of hanging out outside uh, of the ticketed area because that's where everyone was with their cameras for the meetups. You wanted to see other cosplayers and so on. So, yeah, I think it just ended up, you know, me meaning that you saw less cool cosplay this year. You know, I think I'm talking about the really elaborate cosplay of people, you know, dressing up like mecha robots, you know, walking around on stilts and so on, right? Um, there was just less of that this year versus the year prior. I think another contributing factor to that might be the fact that, you know, again, ticket composition and sifting, um, again, in all speculation on my part, but if there's a great emphasis on the one-day uh, ticket versus three-day tickets, you know, if you're a cosplayer really working on these, like, really original crafts, you want to sell that off as many days as possible. And if you're only going to be able to get in for one day, you didn't get the three-day ticket, you might just opt for a simpler cosplay, right? That that that's, that you don't have to, you know, lug around and, and sip over. So, um, yeah, I think those more grandiose cosplay, you know, probably, I, I know, so noted a definite decrease in the number of those over the year. Not to say that the cosplays I did see were bad, per se. It's just, like, the very, very crazy cosplays and really detailed ones that people would want to, you know, get the most worth out of by wearing it multiple days just less of that this year so um you know if the, if there was with I, I i wish in the future we get to see more of those in the future obviously the convention staff can't really force people to make more uh more cosplay just an interesting i think side effect of the way that they they sifted the ticket composition uh, anyway, once we got to the store, once we got to the show, we dropped off our jackets at Kotsek, uh, and then we started on the north end of the floor of the show floor and just walked around the boots. Now, if you've been to Anime NYC or frankly any convention in general, it'd be the same boots, right? You know, um, you know, merch stores with you know Funko Pops or anime-related gear or whatnot, right? Um, an artist alley, which you know wasn't really my. I'm not really a big artist alley person, but you know my my neighbor and some, and some people I also knew will talk about in a little bit ended up going there. Um, there was one booth of Valeza Life style who's a local streetwear brand from new jersey um filipino owned they had like a pretty big setup with anime cars and a dj alongside you know their streetwear um again i think this is a, a a side effect of the number of tickets they sold per day um but you know i think the dance floor um this year was kind of empty compared to the years prior um, when there was a huge crowd of people jumping around you know they had the same boot set up last year so that was something i missed um there's also you know the 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 cars um of of people dressed up you know senpai squad and so on of their cars, you know, with anime, with anime uh, girl stickers on it, um, and wraps and so on. Um, it's cool to see. Um, and you know, there was actually food this year on, uh, which you know, I I never really get the food at Anime NYC. I just kind of like walk around, and uh, the hype kind of keeps me full until I get a pretty big dinner at the end of the day. Um, but it was cool seeing some more uh, of vendors along the, along the edge of the wall of the um, of the convention hall. So moving from the north side down to the south side, you started seeing more industry exhibitor booths. For example, Bandai Namco had a huge Gundam booth with large Gundam statues on displays, particularly of uh, the aerial from, um, you know, uh, Witch of Mercury. Um, actually, fun story about the Gundam booth. You know, I'd actually signed up. They were doing a Guinness World Record attempt at trying to have the most number of people simultaneously assembling plastic, ro uh, plastic robot models at multiple venues at the same time. Um, the event was actually hosted by Adam Savage of Test.com and Mythbusters. So I originally initially signed up for this. Unfortunately, um, you know, us coming to Anime NYC a little bit late, I had I needed to be there by 11.30. We didn't get there until 12, so I couldn't participate. Um, looking it up now, actually, it turns out they actually did get the record. They got 268 people. Um, so now, so Bandai Lanco, I guess, is, is the first people to actually hold the hold that record. We'll see if they some other place breaks it in the future. Uh, but yeah, there were other major installations around, you know, that, that industry part of the hall. There's the giant 
inflatable Luffy statue, you know, a giant bowl of ramen at the Sword and Jump booth, the desk of Attack on Titan. There's also a wall for messages that people could write to Hajime Isayama of Attack on Titan, uh, which some exclusive merch of Attack on Titan for, for at the convention from the Kinokuniya booth. Um, but yeah, the wall was very similar to kind of like when um, when when Miura died, um, and, and and there was a whole wall kind of in memoriam to him for Berserk. Um, you know, Isayama hasn't died, but definitely kind of like the end of, of the Attack on Titan series. Um, you know, I didn't get any of the exclusive merch um, at the at the Kinokuniya booth, but our neighbor ended up doing so. Uh, speaking of merch, I did get though there were two things I was looking for from the convention. Uh, first off, you know one of the things I've been doing consistently, at least oh, for more than a year at this point, is I've been playing the mobile game D4 DJ from Bushi Road. Um, you know, based off of the anime of the same name. Uh, my favorite DJ unit in the game is the unit Peaky Peaky, and you know it was definitely overpriced. I think at fifty dollars, but um, Bushi Road was uh, on. Um, had a booth, um, and you know, I've been and I've been keeping an eye on the D four DJ uh, Twitter to make sure that you know, hey, there may or may not be. It, will they have uh, 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 merchandise uh, at the show? And yes, they did. They actually specifically, I was looking for uh, the Peaky Peaky hat that one of the characters wear. So ended up getting that. Um, you know, they were also having a, at the booth a demo for D four DJ um, with a score challenge to try to win a plus. Uh, I ended up not participating at the plus um, one. Uh, we came at the wrong time. It had to be between certain hours and. You know, I just didn't time being at the booth at the right time. Uh, two, um, since it was on tablet, uh, I'm a bit of a, I'm more of a mobile phone player. So I know, given it was going to be a very difficult song, because they tend to do the really difficult level songs for these challenges, I definitely wasn't going to, I think, do do very well. Um, that said, the other merch I got, I ended up going to the Gundam booth and got a Barbados model from Iron Blooded Orphans with some, you know, Gundam-based unique uh, clear parts um, to, to make it look a little bit different than the normal model. Um, this is a master grade kit, which maybe I'll do an episode in the future on, um, you know, model on anime model building. Uh, but this will be my first master grade kit. Most of the ones I've done up to this point have been high grade models. Um, funnily enough, you know, I still actually haven't finished uh, the Iron Blooded Orphans Gundam series. Uh, so actually, one of my newest resolutions is to actually go and finish IBO uh, and then finally build my Barbados model. It's like sitting uh, on the shelf next to my desk. I'm just like looking at it right now as I'm as I'm talking. Um, so yeah, definitely want to do that. Uh, and then technically merch, I guess, but this was more like a free giveaway. Um, there were some cards for the newly released One Piece game, like a starter deck with, I think, featuring Uda as the main character, as the main uh, hero of the deck. Um, you know, I definitely don't think I'll be playing the One Piece game, you know, with anyone anytime soon, so I'm not really going to invest too much in it. But, you know, I did end up uh, putting the uh, the Uda card into my binder of Magic the Gathering cards. Um, as I have with other promotional promos- cards, I have, like, the Detective Pikachu uh, from the uh, from the Pokemon movie uh, or the, um, what is it, the uh, Obelix and Tormentor from the Yu-Gi-Oh! movie I ended up seeing in theaters. Now, as far as the rest of the convention, you know, I mean, it was, you know, mostly just walking around and checking out what cosplay there were. You know, a lot of Bleats, a lot of Demon Slayer, Spy Family, definitely a lot of Spy Family. And probably the most well-represented was, of course, Chainsaw Man, um, though it definitely got a run for its money by Genshin Impact, as usual. Um, like I have for the past five years there's at, at, at Anime NYC, um, I actually make a cosplay video. You know, I walk around filming people, get them to dance, maybe do a little skit of in-character for their characters and put it all to music, right? Um, I, I'll link the 
link in the show notes. I think this this year's doing is a little bit better than the year prior. Um, but yeah, just some highlights. You know, I think there was a guy walking around with a Beyblade set, like a arena and some you know Beyblades you could pull out of his backpack. I battled him and the losing, of course. Um, you know, some cute, cool combinations of, of cosplays. This was Rika and Yuta from Jujutsu Kaisen Zero. Cool set of Hunter Hunter cosplayers. A lot of cute kid cosplayers as well. Um, and you know, there was also at, at one point near the Luffy statue we were hanging out a bit of a One Piece cosplay meetup that was pretty hyped to watch. Um, oh, and of course, me and my wife asked Kongmin and Eiko definitely uh, kept an eye out for other Kongmin cosplayers. I think they were probably like, I want to say like three or four Kongmings walking around. I don't remember seeing any other Eiko. Maybe like one other Eiko. Um, but it was really cool to, to see them in the wild. Like, oh my god, you are those people. Who are those people also? Um, so yeah, we took the picture. Uh, some of us, some knew the dance, some didn't, but it was always fun. Um, you know, we definitely got ourselves stopped probably like half a dozen to a dozen times or so uh, just for people asking for pictures of me, of, of uh, us two with them, which is, you know, always fun. A little bit of an ego boost for sure. Um, there's even one guy who had a kazoo uh, who knew the theme song and so he started kazooing the song and we just started dancing since we didn't know the song and of course you know there was a clip of us dancing uh what little of the dance we we memorized uh for the for my video so you know again link in the show notes definitely check that out but of course, you know, to wrap it up, the best part of Anime NYC is, of course, meeting up with friends. Um, of course, we came with our neighbor, but there was also a bunch of my college friends who showed up. A uh, shout out to my friend Laura, who actually uh, we saw at Anime NYC the year prior. She had flown in from Chicago for the weekend. Um, and then we also met up with my friends Michelle and Brandon, who live in New York City, uh, who came uh, to the convention as well. We all met up, you know, Laura knew them as well. So it was a bit of a nice reunion to see everyone together. Uh, overall, you know, there are certainly things I think I would have liked, liked to see more from this year's anime NYC. You know, mostly the elaborate cosplay. Uh, again, that's not something the crew can control. But, uh, you know, as much as I would like trespass to maybe go all three days to you know, get more cosplay footage, um, you know, I know I'll have to earn that in the future. So, you know, if I can't get a th- if I can't do that, maybe I'll just buy a three-day pass or even just one-day pass. I mean, I definitely hope they come back next year. They definitely con- they already confirmed the dates for this year's anime NYC. Uh, I believe it's going to be the 17th uh, or 18th or 16th through the 19th through 18th or something like that um we'll see if i end up actually making it i believe looking at just kind of plans for the rest of the year of, you know it's new year's and looking at the plans we're thinking about maybe driving down to florida where my folks live uh that weekend so we can spend thanksgiving week with them uh, so we'll see if you know we're able to actually go to anime nyc or not um who knows maybe i'll be maybe if we do go i'll just nab a friday only ticket so that i can keep my my streak of at least going to anime nyc every year even for a couple of hours um so yeah we'll see um um, but yeah, that is my recap of Anime NYC. Uh, On to the second half of this episode. Now, uh, if you know me, you also know I'm a movie guy. You know, I have two other podcasts about movies, one about box office numbers and then one about Oscar nominees. Um, of course, part of that, uh, you know, I watched a bunch of movies this year, like 90 total. And of those, uh, I watched about um, 10, 10 of those were anime films. Um, kind of bringing it down further, six of these were theatrical releases. So in theater, um, two of them were older films I'd been meaning to watch from the same one, both from the same director. Uh, one was a new anime film, but it only had a streaming debut and then there was another film that no not super old but from the past couple of years but a friend of mine who also was really into movies had recommended for me ended up being my last film of the year overall um to hit that that 90 number 
So kind of walking through them from, from the beginning of the year to the end. First up in January, I ended up watching Mamoru Hosoda's film, Bell. It was actually on my birthday uh, here in New York City, but unfortunately it was uh, when Omicron uh, was, a, was, a, was, was a thing. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, the touring I was at was kind of empty. Um, I think, I believe it was at the Lincoln Center uh, here in New York City. Um, now, I'm, I'm gonna, now I, I was going to watch a Mamoru Hosoda film in theaters anyway, but I especially wanted to see it because you know, there's a little bit of brief hope that it would maybe be be nominated for the Oscars last year for animated feature ended up not being the case unfortunately I, I can kind of see why well Bell is certainly a musical and visual spectacle and like most of uh, Hosoda's films are it tries to pack in a lot into its screenplay um, you know about living in the online world retelling of Beauty and the Beast and honestly a lot of plot points were kind of half-baked and messy and a lot of them never really came to any strong point uh, to any strong conclusion about like you know a big takeaway so you know i it's juggling a lot it doesn't drop the ball per se but it doesn't really stick the landing so you know i gotta give it credit though the soundtrack especially the songs uh, that bell sings as a, as an idol or pretty fire uh which is a trend this episode i think a lot of musical anime this year um uh, musical movies this year um i don't want to go too much more into it since uh, again i am only one away movie from doing a whole episode on who sold his entire filmography which i feel like i've been meaning to do for a while but suffice to say it very much fits in with his common themes about family and online digital cells and reality being as valuable it's mean space reality so you know if you have the time and, and ability go go watch bell i think it's definitely fun at the very least check out the soundtrack uh, moving to February, you know, I didn't really see any anime films, but in March, uh, in the middle of watching, you know, all the Oscar-nominated movies, I made time, you know, take a break from the Oscar stuff to go watch uh, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, the prequel movie to the, to the television series. Uh, this one actually ended up in Japan being the second highest grossing film of the year, which is pretty impressive. Now, as someone who did enjoy Jujutsu Kaisen anime, uh, it's no surprise this one basically scratched a lot of the same uh, things I really enjoyed about the, the, the series, you know, the great accent sequences, the you know, fun fun characters, the world building. Now, it did lean a little bit much into the fan service for fans of the anime, um, which I think you know might be the part of the, so the source material, right? This is a based on the prequel uh, chapter of the series, so it is canon. Um, and honestly, it was a you know, but that said, it was understandable enough, maybe because it was a, a prequel, to be a standalone film for someone who didn't see the original. You just wouldn't get everything out of it you could have if you didn't know some of the cameos um, that would show up later in the in the actual anime. Um, um, honestly, it's probably nothing special in that regard as a standalone film um, compared to other films out there. So, you know, I see this primarily as a bridge, something to keep us, uh, keep Jujutsu Kaisen top of mind in the year between, you know, season one, uh, when that, when season one came out, and then season two, which is coming out later this year. Now, uh, at the after the Oscars, you know, I was a little bit burned out on just watching a lot of movies. Um, I did make time in April before kind of taking a break from movie watching to watch uh, two films by the master Satoshi Kon, a courtesy of the Digital Film Festival hosted by the Smithsonian's Asian Art Museum, uh, where they had the previous where they had all of his films available for screening online. Now, I had seen the Millennium Actress before as well as Tokyo Godfathers, but I, here I got to see uh, his two films, Perfect Blue and Paprika, which some consider to be uh, his best films. Now, I gotta say, they definitely lived up to the hype. Um, again, I feel like I promised you guys an episode about Satoshi Khan for a long time. I'm waiting for his uh, television series Paranoia Agent to be viewable. Actually, you know, 
because it was previously available on Funimation. I canceled my Funimation uh, subscription before I could actually watch it, hoping it was going to come to VRV, which is the main app I use to watch anime on my phone. Um, but uh, it's not. It, looks, it doesn't look like it's coming there, but it is on Crunchyroll separately, which I guess by having VRV, I have a account of that. So I'll watch it some point this year, promise, um, and then do an episode on that. Um, to speak more a bit on Perfect Blue and, and Paprika, kind of in general, though, Perfect Blue really nailed that blurring of real life and imagination psychosis um, as well as also commenting on just kind of like the entertainment industry and kind of like the, the parasocial relationship between fans and, um, and and entertainers in a way that could really only be done in animation um, and then Paprika makes full use of the medium of animation for its dreamscape sequences and I can see why many people say that Inception by Chris Nolan uh kind of ripped off of it, or at the very least, you know, ge more generously paid homage to it. In any case, you know, I honestly don't think there's another direct... I ended up giving them 5 out of 5 stars, which, looking at the other of his films, are also 5 out of 5. I don't know any other director of that, that I've watched, or literally every film of those have been 5 out of 5. Not just in the anime, but across all of films. So, you know, definitely uh, something I find, I'm really glad I finally got around to watching. In June, you know, uh, moving ahead, I saw the release of the Review Starlight movie here in the States, uh, which I think was available online in some form online. I know some other AniTubers had it as their best of 2021 list, but I had been holding off uh, watching it, knowing it would be a spectacle worthy of the theaters. Now, while it'd been a while since I'd seen the original TV series, I was a little bit fuzzy, so I was a little bit fuzzy on some of the minutiae of the plot, character relationships, or so on. Uh, honestly, I'm not even certain in the original anime I fully understood the world building, but you know, certainly it, w it did deliver on the spectacle. You know, the song, the dance, the, the sets, because kind of like, you know, once the plot got going, it was set piece after set piece after set piece. Uh, you know, if, if anything, it might have been a little too overstimulating for me. I feel like I blacked out partway through the film just from sensory overload. Looking back, though, and watching some of the individual performances uh, in, 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 in uh, isolation on YouTube, they definitely all have the technical elements behind it that make, make it a worthy, uh, made it a worthy watch. I think perhaps, you know, the narrative was a bit lacking, but again, that might just be because I was just so separate from the original series that, you know, it didn't quite have that one-two punch of follow, following up for me, but still a fun, a fun uh, visual ride nonetheless. Now, the funny thing is, uh, Review Starlight wasn't even the only over sensory overload experience I had in film this year. Uh, the other one being the next film. Uh, in mid-August, I went to see the latest film from the experimental anime master himself, Masaki Yuasa, uh, titled Inu-O. Now, I came in pretty much knowing nothing about the premise, but you know, to sum it up shortly, this revolves around a 14th century blind biwa performer, you know, a poet, song singer, um, as well as a deformed dancer who tell alternative versions of the tale of the Heike kind of this classic epic from Japanese literature. Um, that doesn't really do it justice as, you know, these alternative versions of the epic are portrayed as essentially metal slash rock performances, you know, utilizing period instruments and, choreo and, and choreography and so on, which is frankly a sight to behold and witness on the big screen, right? Um, and, you know, I will admit I was a bit tired coming into the theater. I think I had ran to, to catch my movie time. Um, and the reclining seats in the theater were just so soft and comfy. Uh, it was really hot outside as well and you know I, I think I ended up dozing off for the first 20 minutes or so um, fortunately those don't those first 20 minutes didn't really feature any of the songs it was more so set up about the two characters and how they met the deformities and how they made their friendship and sort of the troop um, I basically woke up just as the first song was was beginning um, I think again this film does rely a little bit heavily on having some familiarity with the history and context of the Heiki stories and that period of Japanese history and the politics involved therein 
So I can't really say I fully understood or appreciated the story on a surface level. Um, but that's not the film fault, given that this is probably initially uh, intended for a Japanese audience. Now, from what I did appreciate on a surface level, I mean, Yuasa has always been kind of the master at at one, taking a wild swing at something just so out of the norm from typical animation convention. Um, not just anim- not just an anime, but just animation across the world, uh, and then really nailing it and just giving something that is such a sensory experience that is just you know, it, it, he he turns emotions and feelings into anime in what they would look like on animation, and I think he nails that here again. Um, you know, I mean, and the fact that he's just always trying something new and innovative is something I can appreciate. Now, you know, it seems there is some awards hope for this, which I wasn't expecting, given it didn't do that well and came out at an awkward time in August. Well, I don't think yet it'll get an Oscar nomination. It did get nominated for Best Animated Feature at the Golden Globes uh, this year, which is a bit of a rarity for an anime film. So I'll take it. Hopefully this snowballs into something more. Uh, also in August, I ended up seeing the Dragon Ball Super superhero movie in theaters. Now, I somehow missed the Dragon Ball Super Broly movie when it came out, but fortunately, beyond a cameo of Broly uh, at one point in the film, um, you know, it wasn't really necessary to understand the bulk of the film. Um, actually, I actually think I enjoyed this one a little bit more than other Dragon Ball movies since those, always seem, those other films always seem to center on Goku and Vegeta. Here, the focus is more on Piccolo and Gohan, who everyone who knows anything is knows that this is the real father-son pair of the series. Um, so it's nice to get a little break from those, you know, Goku and Vegeta who have just transcended everything, uh, transcended strength of God and, 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 and the gods in, in this universe. Um, now, was it the most groundbreaking anime film with striving at a deeper understanding of art or the human condition? Hell no. But what, what it was was a fun, action-packed Sonin film over two hours of watching, you know, people beat up on each other um, in increasingly insane ways. Yeah. Um, bonus, actually, this is a bit, I actually talked about this on my box office podcast because this actually ended up being the first anime film in I want to say decades uh, to open at number one in it's in the U.S. box office for its opening weekend. Technically, Demon Slayer also hit a number one, but I was in its second weekend. It opened number two behind a Mortal Kombat last, uh, I believe, last year. Um, bonus, bonus. Actually, also the use of CGI in the in the film was actually pretty dope, and honestly, didn't take away from the action at all. Uh, so, love to see more of that that technology used in the future. Um, definitely, also makes me want to go back to uh, makes me go back to. Um, uh, uh, watching Super Super Broly. Now moving to November, you know we had the One Piece Red movie come to the U.S. night uh, the week before the Black Panther uh, movie, which means it didn't do that well at the box office. Now. One Piece Red had been pretty hyped up, right? Um, it had a couple of episodes of the anime dedicated to it, as well as a few inserts in the manga. It ended up being the highest grossing film of the year in Japan with $143 million. Um, didn't, didn't do quite do the same here in the U.S., you know, unlike, uh, you know, and I think part of this is, you know, at the end of the day, despite being hyped up, uh, like other One Piece films, this is kind of like a side story for uh, the Straw Hat crew and such uh, to really just explore another part of the universe without really having any major impact on the mainline story. Unlike, say, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, which is, you know, a canon prequel or Demon Slayer, right? Um, you know, and, and, and again, One Piece also, I think, has the reputation of being so huge that unless you're caught up, people feel kind of intimidated about actually starting it if you're not already invested in it. So, um, and this one in particular, Particularly, did rely a lot on references to char- specific character, like fan favorite characters from specific arcs, which you would have no context for who these were if you had just tuned in, right? Um, now that said, you know One Piece Red itself, if you were a fan, was a really fun experience if you just 
think about what anime and anime movies do better than manga, which, you know, my recommendation is always to watch, read the manga of One Piece, um, just because, you know, the anime, as it is, as people know, tends to kind of like be so close that they have to pad it out. And you know, aside from a couple episodes in the Wano arc, really doesn't really have the great best animation. But at the end of the day, right, anime and anime movies really have you know part one of the things. It's an audio an audio visual medium. The um, p- focusing the story on Luffy's childhood friend, uh, original character Uda, and her performances. Um, you know. Really, the, the musical element, much like Bell, you know, earlier in the year had a whole thing about, you know, an idol performing online. Um, and then, you know, you have um, you have uh, the Review Starlight film, and again, being Buds of Song and Dance really working there. Masaki Iwasa's film being a film about a rock artist in, in, in that ancient uh, period of Japan's history. I mean, music really makes these anime films on big screen really be worth the price of admission, I think. And, you know... It wasn't just one song, right? Uda had multiple songs that really shifted in tone and mood depending on the turns of the plot of the film. Um, you know, I, th- I think part that's part of the reason why this did so well, right? Especially in Japan, uh, where apparently the soundtrack for Uda's songs has been all over the place in shopping malls and so on. So, yeah, people were really familiar with the songs and that's why people ended up seeing it. I don't regret seeing it, you know, uh, on the big screen. I definitely still uh, check out some of the songs. And all, a lot of the uh, Japanese musicians I listen to on YouTube have been doing covers of the uh, of of the One Piece Red song, so this one definitely has some staying power. Uh, finally, in December, I watched my last two films of the year, both at home. Uh, the first was Waxy while I, I was isolating from my wife while we both had COVID. Uh, the first, it was uh, the Eurocamp movie, which did not have a theatrical release, but uh, did debut on streaming uh, here, uh, first in Japan in, in theaters, and then on streaming on Crunchyroll. Um, Eurocamp is one of my favorite Yashike series of all time. Was really looking forward to it and was not disappointed by it in the slightest. Uh, it's basically the same story of the girls just going camping but the added twist is that this is them out of high school they're in the working world a couple years out um and they have their own struggles as real life working adults um and one of which is you know finding time to actually meet up with all of your high school and school school age friends um since you all have your own lives that's you know as somebody who just turned hit 31 who struggles even to set up a dinner with my college friends just because we're so busy with life it just hits really hard um, some, and it still gives me hope that I can make it happen seeing the comfy blanket society come together add in that you know Supreme Leader Chikawar was in the film as like a much older dog you know dogs age older there's like a whole whole line, whole kind of subplot of that in fact some people I think were scared that uh, he would pass away in the middle of the movie at one point luckily he didn't um, but having my own senior dog I mentioned earlier to take care of I mean you know it is uh, it's definitely hit a little bit harder that way obviously this film I don't think would would stand up by itself. You have to really be invested in Eurocamp as a thing, but you should be watching that anyway. So, you know, that, watch Eurocamp, watch the Eurocamp movie. Uh, the last movie of the year was a recommendation from my friend Jeff of the Classic Movie Lives podcast. He'd been raving about this film, Ongaku R-Sound, last year um, that he thinks should have been nominated for animated feature. Um, this is the directorial debut of Kenzi Iwaisawa. I believe he fundraised it for like $40,000 to make this film, and it kind of sows. Um, it's a story about three so-called uh, high school juvenile delinquents who don't really have an aim in life, and despite no prior experience, end up uh, starting a... Uh, their own band featuring uh, two bassists and then half of a drum set uh, with no vocalists. Now, again, 
super super debut film it's super minimally animated a lot of long shots kind of kind of hold without a lot of um movement some interesting character designs very minimal uh character designs um and then you know the screenplay and and the, the script is kind of minimal as well a lot of deadpan humor leaving for those longer pauses but you know when the movie hits especially during musical performances for example they the 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 the, the three of them form a group called kobujitsu and then K-O-B-U Jutsu and then uh, there's another band at school called Kobi Jutsu K-O-B-I Jutsu um, who's the folk music art group and then there's this one scene when the Kobi Jutsu uh, the, 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 the folk music group are kind of busking uh, distributing flyers for a rock concert uh, and then the main artist just goes at it uh, and then even at, especially at the part when they actually is at the rock concert, when Kobujitsu ends up performing, they just, you know, the animation completely levels up, goes to like a take on me, rotoscope type animation that just, that this is a whole other level. Uh, maybe that contrast, right, of, of between kind of like the deadpan minimalist of the, you know, not having an aim in life followed by this really elaborate animation sequence for the, for the band, just something that was really, really in, enjoyable. And, you know, bonus, I mean, it was a, it was like a, it's like a, 70 minute movie um, which you know it was. I was struggling to find a film I could watch uh, for the end of the year on New Year's Eve so I could hit my 90 films for the year um, so this ended up being it and yeah I mean uh, you know I, I will say I've never seen a recorder used quite that way in a film before I don't think I ever will um, you know Again, I, I, I don't think it's for everyone. It definitely ha is a little rough around the edges, but um, I'd love to see what the director tries at next, especially if he's able to get a little bit more of a budget uh, behind. I think he has some really interesting things there. Uh, I would have liked it if there was maybe a little bit more of a more music for a music anime. Um, you know, it basically was like that one song that the group did at the main performance and, and, and the other group as well, but that was basically it. So I would have loved to see more variety of music. Um, but again, being an indie project, I, I can completely understand why it was the way it is. So yeah, uh, that basically ended up being all 10 anime films I watched for the year. Um, now, if I had to pick a best anime film of the year, you know, not counting the Satoshi Kon films because that would be cheating since those are much older, um, I, I have to say based on the criteria which I base film on. And I do this for my overall films of the year list. Uh, first up, thinking more so with my brain, so to speak, uh, the best film of the year. That's kind of the films that are the most technically well executed, have the most innovation, or most, you know, just well done film screenplay, directing, cinematography work, music, all, all of that. I'd say that Inuo is probably the best anime film I watched this year. Uh, in fact, it actually ended up being my top 10 best films, period, uh, across all of the films that I watched this year. Now, part of that is of course it's a standalone film so you know whereas the other franchise films kind of need to rely more so on fan service and whatnot to truly be a, a great film and you know they're not really aiming for something to say something which which Inuo really does um, you know I think that that gives it an inherent edge in this in this category um, that said what is my favorite anime film of the year uh, that kind of goes with your heart is what you enjoyed the most for me it was you know, if you can tell by the way I was talking about a Euro camp um, laid back laid back camp um, it's not a fair comp comparison of course, the Eurocamp is one of my favorite anime of all time. But hey, the heart wants wanted art wants and it wants me to watch you know people go camping. Now, 
little bit bonus, you know, there was a couple of live action uh, films and TV shows I watched throughout the year um, of based on anime or other Japanese properties um, I want to shout out. Um, I ended up watching Shin Ultraman at the New York Asian Film Fest. Um, this was from the same co-director as the Shin Godzilla movie, as well as uh, Hideaki Ani um, serving as the producer and editor and also stop motion capture for this film. I never really seen Ultraman growing up, but this one definitely works as a standalone film, much like Shin Godzilla did. Um, pretty fascinating to watch. The producer was there to do a Q&A. Uh, the director was there to do a Q&A um, at the New York Asian Film Fest. I actually believe it's coming to theaters next week. Not this week, but next week. Um, so definitely catch that in theaters if you can. Um, I didn't quite, quite, quite watch this one, but my wife uh, watched all of season two of Alice of Borderland on Netflix, which is based on a Japanese manga. Uh, I caught a little bit here and there as I would walk through as she was watching different episodes. Seems pretty interesting enough in how she explained it to me that I think rather than go and watch the, the live action, I'll probably go back and read the manga. I looked it up. It's about 64 chapters or so from start to finish. So um, seems to be in that battle royale type, type, type situation of, of that era. So we'll see. Um, now, I did end up joining my wife to watch one of her J-dramas. Normally, she's in the Korean dramas, but she also watches some Japanese shows here and there. And she had actually was watching an, an adaptation of the Isekai Isekai Yanobu, uh, one of the, the more realistic of two anime about restaurants that transport their chefs to other worlds um, to serve the residents with, with, uh, with Japanese uh, dishes. Uh, I, I fell in love with when they aired a couple of years back. Kind of funny. I actually was, I think, either coming out of my office after doing some work or came out after seeing a movie or something uh, I came home and she's watching a film as what I could see like oh there's this chef like cooking you know cooking tonkotsu frying it in, in, a, in a deep fire uh, oh okay I always like watching you know I, I mean we watched you know Netflix movie, Netflix TV series about people traveling to Japan to watch food like when I'm working I usually have like a cooking video in the background often of Japanese food um, and yes yeah, it ended, ended up I asked what it was I was like oh it's, it's, it's Nobu I'm like wait I've seen that anime before um so yeah, I, I definitely was interested in seeing the differences. And I will say, I think in the same way that anime can elevate, obviously, you know, there's a, there's a thing about, you know, go back, read the source, maybe read the manga, right? There are some things that anime does do better than, than manga, right? Not a lot, but, you know, especially if it's designed for manga, but a lot that can be done, right? Specifically, I think music, as, as I've mentioned before, right, is, is one of those. But the other thing I think for, for um, in, in the same way that, that anime can elevate, you know, uh, um, a a, uh, a a manga, right? Um, live action, which is usually one step removed from the manga or light novel, doesn't always work that well, right? But um, it can work in the same way it elevates the anime adaptation in that the realism of seeing actual food, like like like. Photo real food, as opposed to whatever best rendition that the artist can do in animation, um, it's just a whole other level of making the food seem so much more appetizing. Which is frankly the main appeal of the anime here. I mean, thinking about it, I'd actually be really interested in seeing a Sokogaki no Soma live action, assuming they can skip all the problematic bits um, somehow. Um, which maybe makes that less of a view. But just the food elements, right? Seeing really good food done uh, in live action just beats out any animated live live food frankly speaking so um yeah i mean that was that was definitely the reason i ended up sticking out and watching the series uh and actually and then we continued on to the second season which was interesting because the first season of nobu on uh followed the anime pretty up through the end of the anime season but then uh you know it ended up going beyond that into apparently it's based on a light novel and then you know, there's a whole other arc which was not adapted to the anime and ended up getting adapted in the light in the in the live action adaptation so 
I ended up seeing a whole story heart I didn't know before. So definitely was uh, was fun. My wife and I definitely ended up going to eat some Japanese food the next day. And funnily enough, she'd actually not been a fan of, of unagi or, or grilled eel before, but watching it on Nobu changed their mind. So yeah, definitely give me a Tori Aizu and some unagi. That was definitely a, a fun watch. Uh, speaking of live action, good live action adaptations of anime, cannot seem to say for the Full Metal Alchemist live action movies that came to Netflix. I watched them more out of morbid curiosity than anything else. I mean, you know, perhaps a sense of completionism. My wife and I had watched the first one several years back. Uh, I figured I might as well watch all of them at this point, right? Others have roasted them better than I ever could, but suffice to say, this one probably could please no one, right? It tries to tell a complete story, um, but it's rushed in a way where you can only really understand kind of the in-between bits. Um... Unless if you understood the anime, um, but if you understood the anime and seen the anime, then you would just be upset with how they were chopping up the story, right? So yeah, I mean, I will give them credit for attempting, right, to to bring in the whole greed plot and and whatnot, and you know, I think they were going more so for let's recreate these iconic scenes from the anime or manga, um, and then and have it in live action and then move from, but they didn't really earn those, so would not recommend unless you are completionist like me. Um, but yeah, that is uh that's the uh that's the li- that that was the live action series I watched this year based on anime and manga. Now, you know, going back to the movies I watched, you know, those they don't include even all the films I was hoping to watch. I just ended up so much happening this year, I didn't have time to watch everything. Just a quick list, running through my list of everything I wanted to watch uh, for the past couple of years. So, you know, by streaming service on Amazon, I was hoping to catch uh, Dragon Ball Super uh, Broly, uh, Pupel of Chimney Town, Pompo the Cinephile, Fortune Favors Lady Nikoko, Summer Ghost, Goodbye Donglies, and House of the Lost on the Cape. Um, on Netflix, there were a bunch. Uh, there was Bubble, uh, Wars Bubble Up, uh, Drifting Home, Children of Kamiari Month, and Children of the Sea. Um, and also, live action wise, there was the uh, two. Two uh, Roni Kenson live action films, which uh, the ending of the the last two of the uh, five films live action ended up coming to Netflix. I've been meaning to watch those for a while, so hopefully I'll be able to get around to those at some point. And then on Crunchyroll, in addition to uh, Eurocamp, uh, they had the new uh, Sword Art Online progressive film, uh, I believe, debuted there. Um, Art Taxi Into the Woods, kind of like a recap movie, but, you know, apparently with some original content there. Um, Josie the Tiger and the Fist, uh, King of Thorn, and then Origin Spirits of the Past, which the last thing I don't know too much about, but hey, uh, they were, on, they were some, think of something I was about thinking about watching. Oh, I forgot about Amazon. On Amazon also, uh, the Evangelion movie, uh, 3.0 plus 1.0, and up making its way there. I still need to watch all of the other Evangelion uh, rebuild films, so I'll definitely watch those first, but hopefully I can get to the Evangelion films as well. Uh, looking ahead to 2023, you know, there are a number of anime films to keep an eye out for. Uh, the new Makoto Shinkai film, Suzume, is probably uh, one of the more pressing ones. Uh, already released in Japan was the third highest grossing film of the year in 2022. I believe Crunchy will announce that they will be coming to the West in April, so mark the calendars for April 14th. Um, more presently, the time I got reincarnated as a slime isekai has an anime film uh, coming to the U.S., uh, I believe, uh, in a couple of weeks, January 20th. Um, there's also an anime movie called uh, Lonely Castle in the Mirror that released in December of 2022 based on a popular series uh, of novels uh, that might get the U.S. release, hopefully. Um, the Otome Isekai anime, and then a bunch of stuff that has announced movies but no dates yet. Uh, my My Next Life as a Villainous, All Flags Lead to Doom, has a film confirmed for 2023. Um, Naoko Yamada has a film from Science Saru called Garden of Remembrance com- coming out sometime this year. Um, on Netflix, the Digimon anime, the Digimon series is 
Digimon Adventure 02, the beginning, is coming uh, as, a, as a film. Uh, the next chapter of the Gridman universe is coming for it to be a movie, combining uh, characters from both Gr the original SSSS Gridman and Dino Xenon. One of my favorite franchises, definitely looking forward to that. Um, Zombieland Saga apparently has a movie coming out, though we don't know the exact even year per se, but it was announced in 2021, so I'm hopeful it'll be soon. Uh, the Kaguya-sama movie, The First Kiss Never Ends, came out in December uh, in Japan and hopefully makes its way to the West, even if it's just on Crunchyroll. Also, apparently a new Psychopath movie coming out sometime this year. And then, of course, the big one, um, Hayao Miyazaki's next film, How Do You Live, is coming out uh, in this summer in Japan, meaning hopefully it'll come out in time for award season in the West. I definitely anticipated being a player in the awards season next year, so hopefully a lot more to talk about there. In any case, I think that's a wrap for both this episode of Yet Another Anime Podcast. Uh, we'll be back uh, soon enough with my belated uh, Yet Another Anime uh, Award show for 2022, as well as my recap of the crazy packed fall 2022 season. In the meantime, though, what anime movies from 2022 did you watch? Which titles from 2023 are you excited to watch? Uh, and going back to the first half of this episode, are there any anime conventions you've gone to and which ones you're looking forward to for this year? Let me know over on Twitter at YetAnimePod or via email at YetAnotherAnimePodcast at Zoom.com. I need to update it, but my, my anime list is NinjaBoy333, boy with an I. We found on all the major podcast services, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Be sure to, sure to leave us a subscribe and leave a review. I'd really share it with an anime-loving friend. Links to all that will be in the show notes. Intro and outro music by Suichi Sakagami at Tannis.com. Editing production by NinjaBoy Media. That's it for this episode. The next time on Yet Another Anime Podcast, like I said, the Yet Another Anime, anim yet another anime Award Show for 2022 and the fall 2022 recap uh, hopefully coming soon, soon this weekend but until then see you space cowboy <laughs>